Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. As we're forced to sit still, I want to travel through the stories of people in other places and explore how they're stepping out with a renewed sense of style. So this is Style Stories Stepping Out, a series which continues to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but from places that we'd love to see and where we'd rather be. Today, I'm stepping out with Annalisa Yabsley, Global Digital Strategy Lead and Executive Director of Content Strategy for US Vogue. While Annalisa grew up in Australia and is now based in New York, it's her parents' heritage that has had the greatest impact on her style. From vintage concert tees to Cary Grant and Slim Aaron's references, Annalisa may have turned to her mum and dad for style cues. However, today, it's her laid-back, practical nature that makes her style succeed. Whether she's impressing Anna Wintour, being a jack-of-all-trades, or simply building great relationships, Annalisa's analytical mind and friendly determination are what makes her stand out from a crowd. And like her love for pop art, she keeps her style simple, putting all the little dots together to make one compelling whole. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Annalisa's story. Hello. Did that work? Yes, we're here. <laughs> we're live. <laughs> oh, you, you'd think for someone who uh, runs digital strategy for Vogue, I'd be a little bit better at connecting to um, live Instagram conversations well, by now, but anyway. I, I feel, I, I kind of feel um, like kind of honoured that I, I can teach you something about that because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not particularly great with those things in the first place. I know. So. I was like, do I request or do I, well, anyway. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> I know. You've been so busy. Like it's been in the lead up to this interview has probably been the most critical no, time for you between Met Gala, Fashion Week. Yeah, a lot going on. A lot going, a lot on. going on. You know what? That's just that comes with the territory. It's all. It, that's just how it is. So you know. But I'm, no, I'm happy. I'm more than happy to make the time for oh. you. And you know. We have some very close mutual friends as well. Yes, so. we do. And, and we'll get into it, but I, I, there's like more connections than one, it seems. Um, now, when, going through the way. interview, do you, do you go by Anna or Annalisa? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that, that's a loaded question. <laughs> Is it? Everyone calls me Annalisa. I grew up being called Anna. Even though my yeah. parents were like, her name's Annalisa, what's going on? <laughs> um, either, really, truly, truly either. For your, yeah. Anna, you know what? If you want to stick with Anna, stick with Anna. It's completely fine. Completely okay. fine. <laughs> um, now, it, your job title is a bit of a mouthful. Um, I had to practice it about five times before the global. Can you yeah. um, just give us, before we get into your story, can sure. you just define what that actually means for people that don't necessarily know? At its core, I am um, focused and responsible for the. Um, you know, on the digital side for the digital performance of Vogue. And so right. what that means is to ensure that we are, you know, exceeding all of our goals, we are reaching new audiences, we are, you know, innovating, we're on all the platforms we need to be, um, we're talking to our audiences the right way, um, and that basically the brilliant, brilliant content that all of our content creators and, and creative team um, 
make and produce is as optimized and maximized and, and seen by as many as many people around the world um, as possible. And then there are all sorts of other things that, that come with the role. And I would say um, second to that, I'm, I'm sort of the a conduit, I guess you could say, between the editorial team and all of the other departments um, yeah. that we work with from creative to marketing to consumer to um, global product and tech to our legal department, to our finance yeah. department. You know, it's obviously it really takes, a, you know, an army to, to do what we do. And so I act as a sort of a, you know, linchpin connector between the editorial side and, and all of these teams to really help help the team, you know, get done what, what to, we deliver the messages. Yeah. So imagine in this role um, you, you have to rely on two kind of very different sides of your brain, the, the, the analytical kind of very um, technical side that can mm -hmm. kind of sift through the data and, um, you know, make the numbers work. Yeah. But then you've also got to appreciate um, and interpret the creative and the fashion and the editorial side of things. Mm -hmm. and my understanding of our mutual friend. What did she tell you, honestly? Oh no, she just told me that you, you. Ever since she knew you, you were you always loved fashion, and it was something That's that true. you know yeah. she grew up knowing that 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 was something that you were always into. Yeah. Um, so can we go go there and and Stop. explore your um, childhood in Australia and how fashion was integrated into your childhood and why that was something that was important to you from a little girl? You know, when we were emailing about about having this conversation and and you'd sort of you know we'd ha we'd had a preliminary discussion about what you wanted to talk about and I knew that this was going to be one of the topics and so I have to be honest I've given it. You know, since then, it's sort of been in my mind. I thought, I wonder how, you know, how I would describe it. Um, and it's not such an easy thing to do. I would say I'm an only child. So step one is there was no um, influence from siblings as yep. far as, you know, fashion or style. There were no sort of hand-me-downs or me passing things on or sharing of wardrobes or, or anything like that. And I learned very, very early on with my closest friends and my best friend back in Australia that even if I wanted to borrow from her wardrobe, it was not going to work. I mean, she was <laughs> feminine, floaty, floral dresses, and I was like, where are the flares and the clogs? Um, <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. I think... Um, you know, they say you're a product of, of your upbringing. And I think as an only child and thinking about style, you know, my parents played a huge, a huge role and an influence. And I think that if I think of what I gravitate towards now and my most prized possessions, I really do think a lot of it is came from them. Um, and, and music, honestly, my, you know, my original, Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen's T-shirts that my parents got at concerts when I was a baby with them that I now wear. Um, yeah. Honestly, my mom. I have noticed on your Instagram special. that you are a big fan of a vintage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm very. They're very sentimental to me as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. But what I will say is, it wasn't easy growing up in 
a country that is hot and a lot of beach culture and when you're not someone who gravitates towards, you know, lightweight linen maxi dresses, you have to yes. get a little creative. Um, you know, your, your, your parents were British, right? Is that correct? Yes. Well, but yes, yeah. yes. So my my mum was um, actually born in Sweden originally, and my dad um, was born in in the UK. So yes, my family. I am, um, you know, my my parents moved to Australia. Obviously, I was born there, um, but I'm the only Australian born in in that regard. So I'm born and bred in Sydney, but my extended family is um, is in Europe. So and do you yeah. think they bought a bit of that British aesthetic, that rock and roll, the kind of music references? You know, you can imagine kind of a British um, aesthetic that revolves around you know the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah, that, was that say. there? Yeah, yeah I, I would say so. I mean, to be honest with you, I've never really thought that deeply about it, but it makes a lot of sense when you, when you put it like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, sure. And I'm, I imagine as an only child as well, you know, the and um, just my experience of observing other only children is that the, the attachment and the um, desire to be more like your parents because they're the people that you hang out with socially at home, right? You you kind of grow up to be yeah a bit a bit more conversational from an adult perspective and into those types of things. Mm-hmm. I imagine that was um, important. Yeah, you. you know, it's funny. People, I've heard that before, and when you don't know any different, you obviously don't think about it that way. Um, yeah. But it is definitely a sort of a common um, observation, I, I guess you could say. And, yeah, I think so. I think it also just really, you know, helped me have a, a sort of a sense of, of who I am. And what I mean by that is I really, you know, if you ask any of my close friends growing up, I don't know why, maybe it's because I'm stubborn, maybe it's the Leo in me who really knows, but I, you know, I just, I really didn't pay attention to <laughs> what anyone was saying, you know, you should wear or you shouldn't wear or what was in fashion or what wasn't in fashion. I just wore what I wanted to wear and what, you know, I felt suited me and, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just very, it was very much how I expressed myself. Um, I I would say, and, you know, I just, yeah, I I really didn't think twice about what, what anyone thought or the reaction to be perfectly honest with you, which is a wonderful thing when you move to New York, because I guarantee you (laughs) everything's embraced over here. (laughs) Um, Okay, so having lived in New York, I I do know that I and yeah. also that nothing that I would think is extraordinary is particularly extraordinary over oh, there because exactly. there's always someone crazier or weirder or yeah. more flamboyant yeah, than you. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but Annalisa, we apparently went to the same school, so um, which was an all girls school. Stop and, it! Did we? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a bit older than you, so you won't remember me. Uh, oh.
what I find interesting is that I found that school very fashion focused. Yeah. There was a lot of kids that grew up in the rad trade and went on to work in fashion and PR. Yeah. Um, how did that pressure not get to you? I have no idea. You know what? Maybe because we had a school uniform. We had such a strict school uniform um, that there was very little, um, you know, well, I shouldn't say that at all. Of course, there was self-expression, but it wasn't as though every day I was waking up trying to figure out, you know, what to wear. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I think it's because when you grow up with it, you don't necessarily know any different, right? Those, those were my peers. That was my school from day one. I grew up with all of those people. Um, and I would say, you know, at least my experience there, it, you know, it was a very sort of, supportive environment I mean yeah it wasn't all girls school and you know I'm sure there were you know playground arguments and, and everything else that comes <laughs> but there was never I don't actually recall um you know a, a person's style out of school hours being a huge focus of, of you um, never had the the pressure of mufty day not really. I mean, oh my gosh, Mufti Day. That I haven't heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard that term for so long. Um, I can't even remember what I wore to Mufti Day, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, maybe I did, but again, it just goes back. I was like, I'm putting it on. I mean, that's just what, what I'm going to do. I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't have um, any, you know, siblings that were bringing me back down to earth at home and being like, what on earth are you doing? I just walked out the front door thinking this is amazing and Lord knows what I actually looked like, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it just, I don't know. I just, I stuck, I stuck to it. And um, my closest friend, as I said, growing up, who was far more, I would say, uh, I don't want to say feminine. I think there's different, there's femininity can mean many, many things, but she was definitely a more, um, dress, colours, flowy, boho kind of style. <laughs> exactly, exactly, which I clearly wasn't. And we almost had a joke. It's like if I ever wore anything and she liked it, it then we'd almost question it. We'd be like, oh, something's gone wrong here. <laughs> because if I put something on and she's like, mm, I don't quite understand that, but I'm like, okay, good. Then I, I know my job is done. Yeah, you know? I feel myself now. <laughs> yeah, I feel myself. It's fine, you know, and Yeah. And, and in terms of your sight of femininity, was what was your mum like? What, what was her sense of dress and style like? Was she more feminine or did she kind of have that rock and roll aesthetic that you talked about? Um, I would say probably a mix of both, but probably erring closer towards how, how I am, I, I would right. say. You know, if I, you're looking back at old photos and, you know, and, and going through the wardrobe and things like that, yeah, I, that's what I would definitely say. And maybe that's the, the European, you know, side, side of things as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I would definitely say more. I just think she just had a, a really strong sense of style and I think that that's what I've noticed um, I think growing up and all of my friends growing up and also where I am now, it's that it's not, I, I just feel like I'm surrounded by people who, who have their own identity and, and I know I keep saying the same thing, but sense of style, whatever, whatever that may be, it doesn't necessarily mean 
wearing head to toe designer clothing. It doesn't necessarily mean wearing exactly, you know, what a trend tells you to wear. It's about um, self-expression and how you, how you interpret that. And I think that that's how I was brought up and I was surrounded by people who, who approached it that way. And, and I think that that is, you know, ultimately what, what style is. If you don't feel good in it and you're not, and you're not comfortable in it, um, you, you know, you're going to, you're not going to, you're not going to feel comfortable. You're going to um, come off differently. You're, you know, you're not going to give the same, I don't know. I don't want to use the word vibe, but I can't think of another word to use. Right no, now. It's, a, it's um, the, the confidence that people exude. And it, it is the one thing that people do attribute to style is, is that level of, um, I think it's, it's about being genuine for who you are. And that's, yeah. you know, why clothes do reflect that what's going on inside quite often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole point of style stories is to kind of work that out, you know. Oh, good. Uh, I'm still yeah. developing that. <laughs> so in terms of that creative spirit, though, you went on to study like fashion and design. Was that, were, you, were your parents working in creative fields? And was that encouraged in you? Um, no. So um, they had they had done earlier on um, in yeah. life. I I would know it was what was encouraged in me was to do. You know, I was very fortunate. I, I was encouraged and supported to do whatever it is that you know I I wanted to do and whatever I gravitated towards. And to be honest with you, it sounds like a you know. I don't know, a cliche for, for lack of a better word, but other than a very short stint of wanting to be a, a commercial pilot and fly Boeing <laughs> aircraft didn't last particularly yeah. long. Um, all I but wait, ever... your parents, were they, were they, was your I have got a family, yes, yes, I have got right. family in, in, not pilots, but I, I do have um, family and family friends. Yes, yes, very <laughs> much in, the, um, in, in, that, in that industry. Um, <laughs> Uh, not anymore, but but were um, I? Yeah, no. I just I always wanted to work in magazines. I really yeah. can't think of anything else that I ever wanted to do. And I remember it so vividly that you know I grew up with um, you know my husband. We've been together a very very long time, so I grew up with a lot of his friends. Um, and I remember when I, we were really young, I was around 15 and someone asked me what I wanted to do. And I'm sure in a typical way, being sure of myself, I was like, well, I'm going to move to America and I'm going to work for Vogue. And I, I made some sweeping statement. And of course I was surrounded by 15 year old boys. They would have been like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Probably laughed at me. And a couple of them, I remember when I, when I moved here, and I first got my job and they messaged me and they were like, yep, you said you were going to do it, and uh, and you did, and they re and they remembered that I had I'd made that kind of I don't know that grand statement. At the yeah, end. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, it is a grand statement for a 15, 16 year old yeah. to be making. But I just I think the ironic thing is I have ended up and here, and that is the job I do, and it's well, it's always a you know a pinch me moment, and I don't take it for granted. But mm. I wasn't calculated in my career steps in that way you know it sort of happened quite organically actually um but you st you started in magazines in australia right and i yeah. and if yeah. i track back i i feel that we might oh, have been researching in the same hall <laughs> i always do a lot of research but you i was at acp yeah which is now our media um yeah. 
in the like around 2010 2011 yeah I think you were like we you know we would we might have seen each other in a hallway or definitely at a fashion event at at the time I think around then I think I'd gone Pacific around you might have been in a Pacific mag yeah. yeah um but what I remember from that time is that uh digital was still a very hazy landscape you know I I, I don't think magazine that that was still kind of quite hanging on to print and they didn't really know what relationship they needed to have with digital at that stage and I you were you'd obviously gone into a digital role at around that time Mm -hmm. um do like is this your analytical brain kicking in do you do you just have like that an um amazing foresight into what you know the future needed to look like or was it by chance that you fell into that role you know what it's it's really interesting that you should say I I think it was I don't know I sort of think it was a combination of both an old um colleague of mine from ACP at, at Clio magazine where I very first started um, was at Pacific and, and she was an editor at the time, editor-in-chief, and she was hiring an online editor. Um, and at that point, I think a lot of online editor roles, I mean, it was like one person and, and or it was part-time. I mean, it was certainly not even remotely what it, what yeah. it is today. And no, I remember 100%. to her reading, you know, the job description. I had had some experience in, you know, some of those sort of digital realms and it just I don't know it really appealed to me but I will be forever indebted to her because she ultimately gave me a go you know I I had formal education formal training but I wouldn't say in a in a technical you know digital sense um but you know back then there wasn't really any kind of digital publishing that there was no course there was no you know way I studied it at all um and it just, I don't know, it just clicked. Something in something in my head just just clicked and I just got it and I and I loved it and I sort of thrived mm. off it. And I think that what was so brilliant about that particular role and starting at that time, aside from, you know, the fact that it's really fascinating seeing how the landscape has evolved and, and changed and sort of growing with it, is that you really truly were a one a one man band. I mean, I did yeah. everything. I was writing content. I was producing it in the CMS. I was the one posting on all of our social channels. I was the one, you know, running. And at that time, like Instagram was brand new. Like yeah. in terms of social channels, it was. Yeah. There oh was my god, no we were still using um, frames. I remember <laughs> shooting images for Instagram with a frame around it. I mean, that's how far back we're. Yeah, we're going and. You know, it, it's funny because when I when I moved to when I first moved to New York, I was wondering if that was going to be a disadvantage because so many people because the industry had expanded so much and the teams were larger here. Um, I actually think it was an advantage, and I say that oh. as I'm sure you do. Anyone who works in a creative field very often gets asked, you know, for advice and how you how you break into the industry. And the best bit of advice I've got is do not assume that you are too good or too big for for any role or any opportunity when you're first starting out but I think that when you can have a real um you know holistic understanding of the industry that that you're in and of the process and a real appreciation for absolutely every person 
who is involved in every aspect that they touch. Um, for me personally, I, I think it's a really, I think it's a really positive thing. And that's why now in my role, I, I you know, when, when people need me to help, I don't know, there's a roadblock or we need to get something done. I have that understanding. I know, you know, the, the skill set of all of the people that we need to leverage. I have an appreciation of their time. I know how long it takes everyone to do their, to do their piece. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I think that, I think that really helps and you know that that was the path I went down and I certainly I certainly don't regret it but you know <laughs> each so you, you, but you ended up in vogue you know so that that manifestation of your 15 year old self yeah. <laughs> determined to 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 be there you, whichever way you got there your path led you there um what what does it feel like as a as a as a teenager determined to 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 land at both when you get that job what yeah. does that feel like for you oh wow that is oh that is not it's not an easy question and i tell you why it's definitely for me anyway it was definitely a, a pinch me moment for sure um it's very awe-inspiring but you also, you know, maybe it was just my experience. You didn't, I didn't really have enough time to sort of think or dwell on it. It happened relatively, relatively quickly. And I think you, you learn early on that you, you know, when you work at, at, at when you work there, I think everyone realizes how fortunate they are to be surrounded by such passionate creative people and an environment where there are you know you encourage ideas and you encourage creativity um and everything that comes with it but I think that you also learn very quickly that you know it, it's it's a job in terms of those pinch me moments yeah obviously for anyone growing up looking at magazines or looking at fashion magazines particularly you have those moments where you know you go to your first new york fashion week show and it, it, it's uh, i know for me personally that was quite an emotional experience mm -hmm. growing up in australia to be there and the productions are so fantastic and vivid you know it, it's a really um emotive experience and you, you, you do have to step back from it and go wow I'm yeah. doing this. Yeah. Let alone going to your first Met Gala. Like, you know, that, that's yeah. an even, even more like kind of pinch me moment that most yeah. people don't get to experience. After that happens for you, mm -hmm. what, 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 do you, what do you now get excited by the potential of? Like what, what, oh what becomes those, those, you know, high octane moments for you? Oh, wow. That, I mean... Oh, that, look, put it this way. I would say they're all still high octane moments for me and that's how I know that I'm still in a good place and I'm where <laughs> I'm meant to be because I'm not in any way, shape or form, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, it still, it still excites me. Um, yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is when you talk about the Met Gala, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, it's a, it is a... You know, I'm very, very fortunate to obviously be involved even in, in the capacity that, that I am. Um, 
But as anyone on the team will tell you, it is, you know, it's a phenomenal amount of work, you know, while we're there. And I imagine for you especially because everybody else is locked out of it. And so the only way to access it is through the digital mediums that Vogue provides. Yeah. So I I imagine that it is nothing but pressure for you. The question I would say, the funny thing is, is you have a great moment, you know, you have a great really successful event and you have, you know, great traffic and and a great response. And then, you know, it's like the catch 22, because then what do you thrive on? You thrive on how are you going to outdo, outdo yourself the following (laughs) year? And that's what it comes down to. It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next, you know, how do we go bigger and, and, and better? And that's obviously with anything that we do. And fortunately we have a, a, a really brilliant, you know, team of, of content creators and editors and creative directors and social media experts. And, um, you know, it becomes, it, it's almost like we're, you know, competing against ourselves. We're like, well, we broke records. So what are we going to break them again? Um, and that's, that's honestly, I think that's what I thrive on. And I thrive on seeing those, results and I thrive on it because I I really really believe in everything that we do and in terms in terms of your experience um going into Vogue like obviously no I don't think anyone wouldn't expect that it is a lot of work and that there's a sense of high expectation Mm -hmm. of, of you performing in that role what in terms of your expectations your vision of what it might have looked like before you went in there did 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 it meet what you thought it was going to is it is it everything that you thought that it would be in terms of an environment and if not what what was different no I would I would say that it is I, I think for me what I found really not that I'd given it a huge amount of thought beforehand, but I think the thing that um, that really I think stood out to me the most is how willing and how future and forward-looking everyone is and everyone was. And I point that out because I think when you work on a title that um, has such an identity and has such, uh, you know, equity in in the field and everyone has their own, you know, assumption of of what it's going to be like and what it means Mm. and what it stands for. Um, You know, it's been well over 125 years that that it's been around. Um, But I think that, you know, yeah, that that was definitely something I noticed. It's very much about forward-looking and the future and what's next and leading those conversations and, and discoverabil- discoverability, discovering new talent, giving them a platform, using, you know, our platform as a sort of a billboard and with all of our editors as curators to decide who, you know, we're going to shine a light on. And, and you're... Your role is so critical to that because the, each platform also dictates, you know, a, a newness in the way that that information is delivered. Yeah. What, I, what I'm curious about um, is, you know, if, if this podcast is about understanding how the thread of someone's story, you know, from your parents' British invasion influence to yeah. your vintage taste impacts you, 
how a, a, an institution like Vogue that does have almost 130 years of heritage and story um, and authority behind it, what is the thread that takes it into the new? Like how do you hold on to that level of sophistication and authority whilst embracing a platform like TikTok? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? And what, what is the story that has to remain true through whatever platform you're working in? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do it by myself. You know, I think that yeah. Vogue... We have we 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 literally have like a set a set of values, um, and I think that anyone who works there and anyone who's in the creative side of things um, knows that and understands them and 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 is passionate about it. But you know, there, I would say there is no there is no magic secret sauce. I mean, that what you just described are conversations that we have you know every day. You know, what is yeah. the, the Vogue way in, how do, what do we, how do we want to represent this? What is the story we want to tell that is different from how other people are telling it and, and makes sense for, you know, a platform, be it TikTok, and a new platform, or even, you know, when Snapchat Discover and we had a, a huge, you know, a massive strategy and huge following there. It's a much younger audience for us as well. Um, it's a constant, ever-evolving uh, dialogue and conversation, it is, I would say, um, it is the marriage of creativity and all of our editors and what they are passionate about and what our audience growth and analytic um, analysts um, and strategists can tell us about what's working and what's not working. You know, what about your story? What what story do you want to tell, and what influence do you hold in in that communication? I, you know, I for me, gosh, it's a couple of things. I mean, I. It's important to me that when there is a story or an idea or a package or a, you know whatever it is that someone wants to tell or that the editors feel strongly about or we have a theme for an issue that we want to then, you know, kind of distribute or manifest itself on on multiple, you know, different platforms, that that, you know, I like the challenge of it. I, For me, what I thrive on, honestly, is finding a way to do that and for it to perform and for it to get in, in front of the right people and, and the right eyeballs. But I think for me, when it comes to the stories we want to tell, I think I do think about, about individual stories, but I'm not a content creator in that sense. But I also think it, it's really important at, at Vogue and, and the team um, knows this and is, and is given this freedom, you know, when also to say no and when something yeah. doesn't and it's not a story that we should be telling or it's not necessarily a platform that we're ready we're ready to be on it's not I was gonna ask you that like where, where if, if you know because even you, any creative has to to assess do is TikTok my thing is Snapchat my thing do yeah. I need to be there's this pressure for every business to understand how to work across all the different platforms, given that you kind of lead the strategy around the digital performance, what point do you say no? Where do you go? Like, how and how do you know it? Like, how do you, because there's, there's an instinct, you've got to get in early, you're not quite sure. 
How, yeah. how do you do yeah. that? <laughs> tell us how you do that. Oh, please. If I, if I can tell you how that was done, I'm just inter- interview over. Here you are. But, you know, yeah. I, I oh, like a million bucks. <laughs> I w- exactly. I wish it were that simple. I think what I generally do and what I think we all, you know, it, it's about sitting down and almost putting a... Um, like a project brief, I, I can't think of a better way to put it, like a project brief together and say, okay, why? What is the story we want to tell? What is the audience we're trying to speak to? And the biggest thing to me is what's the measure of success? Now, is the measure of success scale? Is it engagement? Is it revenue? Is it all of the above? Is it loyalty to convert people to, you know, be a, a, a subscriber. Um, what is it? And I think that until we have a very, very clearly defined proposition as to how we're measuring success and what audience we're wanting to speak to, we don't do anything. We have you have to be able to answer those questions. I would argue, you know, you're not setting yourself up for success at all. It's very, very hard to put a a true robust strategy together when you can't answer those fundamental questions. And I guarantee you that the second we launch anything, it's not only publicly are we going to be watched, but internally, you know, we we measure six. We have to understand what is the benchmark? Because if we say, did it do well, did it not do well? Well, based on what? How are we we defined it doing well? Doing well, Um, yeah. And, you know doesn't always have to be the same measure but obviously you have done very well um and in terms of your experience of both you know you've been constantly promoted and i hate to ask a cliched question oh god <laughs> Annalisa, but i mean anyone would be curious you yeah. obviously have anna wintour's attention <laughs> um what is it like to work for her and what's what's kind of pressure how do you manage the pressure of that expectation um I would say it is inspiring to work for her and it is inspiring to see her work why what like what's inspiring about it um I would say I mean there's where do I begin we could we could not that I would but we could do we could do a whole conversation to start because there's there is a lot and what we have to remember is Anna is in addition to um you know the EIC of American Vogue she's the global editorial director of Vogue she's also an artistic director you know she she is across many 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 things um I would say what I think is what I personally um very much appreciate is that she is very decisive she knows what she wants she will stick to a decision she will communicate it very clearly so you always know where you stand and you always know you know what what needs to be done what the goal is what the aim is but she is she's constantly seeking out and creating an environment where the wider team can, um, you know, bring her ideas. You know, she's not making the, you know, once she makes a decision and, and she sticks to it, you all know where you stand. But to come to that decision as well, there are a lot of really sort of collaborative open conversations where, 
you know, editors are pitching their ideas and, and, and raising thoughts and opinions and also sometimes, you know, disagreeing with certain stories. You know, it's a very kind of open um, creative environment like that. And I think that once all that information is is shared and is pitched and what have you, she will then obviously take it and, and, and make a decision and, and we go from there. But I think that, you know, it's inspiring. Well, I mean, I would say for that reason, I think it's also inspiring because, you know, she is incredibly, incredibly busy and in no way, shape or form, uh, you know, micromanages but is is aware and is across everything. She really has complete and utter awareness on every aspect, everything that's going on. Um, She really is. And and she is approachable as well for, you know, those of us who work there. So that's Given she is across everything and you all do get to kind of contribute um, a voice in that, especially in her leadership team, how... How do you how how have you grabbed her attention? What what is special about Annalise Yavsley oh, that has oh, <laughs> that, that has penetrated through? Come on, no, well, no, you know no. you you have a you have a, a very you know a, it, I'm no. not fangirling no. here, but I, I I'm I'm saying you you've worked hard, you've had integrity, you've been. Uh, almost entrepreneurial at the beginning of your career to, to learn all the, the ins and outs. Yeah. You know, in terms of teaching a younger person what it's, you know, uh, giving them advice on how do you succeed in such an environment, you know, mm-hmm. what is that? What, what, what do you think that you've done that's, um, that's special or different or, or has, has held the attention of important people? I... You know, I think that in general there is an appreciation um, for anyone who, you know, has a strong, you know, might, who has an opinion, to be honest with you, ha- has an opinion, is is not, you know, obviously in an appropriate way, but is not, does not shy away from voicing that opinion, does not shy away from, you know, disagreeing with something, um, does not sort of shy away from, you know, saying I need five minutes to get to the bottom of that. I'm not, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions. I want to do my due diligence. I want to come back, you know, with a, with a suggestion that is very informed. Um, I think that that is a, a big part of it. I think that, you know, for my role specifically, I, I, I believe that my, um, appreciation of and I said this earlier of what it really takes to um you know run a a a title not just you know whether it's put a magazine on the stands whether it's all of the content on on the website whether it's gaining social media followers whatever it might be but I think that my relationships with all of the people in all of those various um you know departments you know orgs without with throughout the company um I think that's a big a big part of it and I think that's a big part of being successful because if you respect people and you respect your colleagues they will respect you as well they will give you the time of day they will help you out when you're in a bind and you need to get something done um and I think that I think that's a a huge part of it a lot of what I do aside from the 
you know, the numbers and, and the audience. And we have a whole team focused on that. I, I think that, you know, I'm a lot of what I have to do is problem solving and, and making, helping make decisions and helping get things across the line for people. And my ability to do that is based on my relationships and my understanding of the wider you know, community and, and the wider organisation and, and, and what it takes and not being so sort of siloed or pigeonholed. I, I've always been very, very focused on not having anyone working on an island, everyone knowing each other, everyone having an appreciation of, of what each other does. And that's why, you know, many, many times people will just come, I need to do this. Who do I speak to? What can we do about this? And I can if I don't have those answers, I know how to find them. And a lot of the times I do have those answers, but it's because I've, yeah. I've built those, that rapport with, with all of those people. And I think, you know, I, I hope that that is something that, um, differentiates you, know, you. And, and <laughs> you know, ben, beneficial to me. And, and it is certainly something that I, you know, encourage in, in anyone that, that, that I work with, you have to, Again, it sounds like a pull quote, but you have to be able to think outside of the box. And I don't mean just coming up with an idea that's out of out of the norm. You really have to understand the matrix um, and the trickle down effect or the domino effect of a lot of a lot of what we do. You know, and I think yeah. that a lot of the the creative team they have to be really focused. They have to be on their, you know, true to what they want to do, what the stories are. And that's when I'm the person who can come in and say, okay, let's, let's, you know, find a way to make this work, taking into account all the other, you know, elements that, that we need to, you know. And, and in terms of that community, going back to style, um, you know, obviously you now sit within a world where fashion newness comes to you left, right and centre. Mm -hmm. Has that has that changed anything about the way you present yourself or the way that you dress? Or has it had a, a yeah, has it changed anything? <laughs> not really. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, not really. I mean... Okay, no, it has in the sense that obviously we're very, very fortunate to be exposed to so many different things yeah. and, and new designers and new collections and, and just people doing new things in any creative space, creating culture, creating conversations, you know. Um, I would say that, yes, of course it influences you to a degree, but what it hasn't done is fundamentally changed you know, who I am as a person or what I wear or how, you know, what makes me feel comfortable in my own skin. It yeah. might refine it. It might, you know, it, it might help discover new, I don't know, new opportunities or new designers or new, you know, whatever it might be. But you can still tell I gravitate towards the ones that, that speak my language. Um, and that language, how would you, if you had to define it, Obviously, we touched on the kind of vintage tea uh, elements to the language of yeah. your style. You you cite Slim Aaron's, uh, Cary Grant, and oh, uh, what's the, the Alpreski, you know, these oh, old yeah. school vintage references. Are they, do they all come into your style? You know what? It's it's. Funny, apres ski 100%, 100%. I'm never happier than if it's 
if it's cold, if there's snow, if I can lay, if I can have scarves, sweaters, you name it. Slim Aaron's, I mean, a little bit. I wish that there is a lot of, I mean, obsessed, completely, you know, huge, huge, huge fan. Um, but that is uh, probably a somewhat more colourful palette to, to what I'm to what I'm. No, you're not um, wearing pink moo's and crochet bikinis. No, no, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not. Um, I. You know what? It's funny. Someone asked me asked me this the other day, and and a friend of mine who was with me, also a colleague, jumped in, and and she said, "You know how I would describe it? Elevated basics." And I was like, "Oh, I quite like that." Because yeah. I have I have. It's not a uniform, but I have the sort of the basic staples that I will always gravitate towards, that I will always wear, um, and you know, it, it's weird. You don't you know, a lot of people dress with intention. And of course I do as well. You know, you get dressed, you put something on, you look in the mirror, you decide what you think. I'd be lying if I didn't, but it's, I, I don't know. There's something about if, if I focus or spend too much attention or try to do it or try to be someone I'm not, or try to wear something that isn't, you know, I'm all for pushing out of the comfort zone, but I don't know. You, you get to a stage when you just, some people are chameleons. I, I just, I know what works for me. I know what I feel comfortable in. And I, and I, and, and what is that mainly with black, you know, I know you like a lot of black. Uh, I mean, yes, I do. Black, <laughs> yes. If we're talking colors, there's a lot of black, there's a lot of white, there's a lot of denim, there's a lot of navy. Yeah. I do own some more <laughs> bright colors and everyone gives me a heart. They're like, Oh my gosh, you own color every time I, I wear any of it. Um, I'm generally a long pants girl. Um, yeah. I love a great power suit. I, um, I'm, I'm more, a am more a pants and blazer girl or like a slimline legging with, you know, a statement sweater or all that kind of thing. I'm not so, not as big on the dresses and the skirts front generally speaking. Yeah. I would say things yeah, that have and structure. I love, structure. but quite a simple silhouette, right? Like yes. it, it almost and and if I observe your style on social media, I would say there's a laid back kind of approach to the way that you dress. It doesn't it doesn't feel too formal. It doesn't feel off putting uh, or or intimidating. Well, listen, would you I'll, say that because that I mean that again. That's a lot. I wouldn't want to make that assumption about myself, but I'm very glad to hear you say that because the last thing I would want to do is dress in any way that was, you know, coming across as intimidating or, try, you know, just, oh, yeah. I just, I think it, it, the fact that that's your observation shows or supports, validates, whatever you want to say, um, yeah. that I am dressing how I feel comfortable in, in my own skin because otherwise you wouldn't, you know, that would not be your observation. So very happy about <laughs> and, that. Um, I'm going to um, start to wrap it up. And Lisa, one of the things that uh, I actually heard Anna Wintour kind of say in an interview before I started Style Story, she was being questioned about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that she said that was really poignant to me was that you know, obviously the environment and the sustainability component of 
fashion is incredibly important and we all need to pay attention to it. But we need to step back and look at the meaning that we attribute to, to fashion from an individual perspective, as well as from a greater industry and social perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we understand that meaning, then, you know, we're, we're just, we're more considerate of the whole process. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the things that really helped shape what Style Stories was going to look like for me, because that really resonated for me. What do you think that, that looks like? What do you think, sitting where you have, between, you know, Met Gala and talking about American identity this year, to looking at um, where we've been with COVID uh, where, and sitting in like such a, an organisation that has such an insight into the influence on the cultural aspects of fashion. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the important kind of points of meaning for fashion right now? Um, I think that, I mean, look, I'm not going to take, take, take Anna's words, but, but I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it is about the industry. And I think that there has been a huge, huge shift in focus, um, around sustainability and what sustainability means in, in the fashion industry and how deep it really goes, um, you know, all the way down to, from everything, where the water is sourced, where the cotton is sourced, how things you are put together, supply. I mean, there's there's a huge, it's a massive, massive, you know, industry. But I think that it is also about as consumers, I think that people are, um, they're making a statement with how they spend their money now. There is a major consumer shift and a major consumer shift in, you know, upcycling, um, all of the consignment, you know, companies and stores that have just completely and utterly blown up, you know, the, the, the sort of the lifespan of a piece of clothing, um, where what you're going to invest in versus, you know, only wearing something once, that's not really, that's frowned upon now. Yeah. And I, when I started in the industry, there were, you know, tabloids about, oh, you know, shock horror, someone wore the same, the same dress twice. It, it's twice the opposite it's a hundred percent um uh celebrated now and i realize that's just a little thing but it's just it's it's a shift in in mindset to be honest with you um and i think that from a content perspective we we are really big in our coverage who we cover who we celebrate that that is, is really making strides in in that sort of realm and in that area and i think we're also very much aware of the hugely powerful position we can play in in helping raise those conversations and bring them bring them to the surface and and so in terms of what you're seeing as well because obviously the Met Gala one of the the big points of um one of the things that kind of uh, was highlighted or headlined this year was the very political outward expression on the clothing you know, when you're saying that consumers are kind of having to, they are making the choices and they're kind of activating what they they choose from an ethical perspective. Do you think that we will see more of that coming out of designers um, in new collections? Is this kind of political stance on, you know, where they what what they do stand for from a, a, a political and kind of ethical perspective 
Yes, I would say my short answer to that is definitely yes. But I think that it is more than just, or I guess it, de it depends on how you want to define political statement. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's more about a statement and what they stand for. Now, whether that mm. is something about politics, whether that is something about climate, whether that is something about um, diversity and inclusivity, whatever it may be, or all of the above, um, but 100%. That, that shift and that moment, that it's not a moment, it is, it is a fundamental shift um, yeah. that we've seen coming and I think is only going to, to continue. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it should. So, you know. <laughs> so, Alyssa, my last question has been about, you know, people's reactions to COVID and stepping out. Mm -hmm. I know... Um, you know, obviously your your style is stayed and true, but Halloween is coming up this weekend. <laughs> and I know it's a big deal in New York. It is. Um, and I want to know, do you have a costume? You what know, I, I <laughs> don't. This is going to sound really boring. And I would 100, I'm not being evasive, I would 100% tell you if I did. My dream costume for years and years and years was to be a, Roy, a girl from a Roy Lichtenstein artwork with all of the dots yeah. I did it last yeah. year and it was the most labor intensive time consuming thing to get all of these dots and the stencil the, the whole thing and I, I went all out and I did it last year now that I've done that I'm like oh gosh you know what's what what is what is next so I don't <laughs> why, know why was that your dream Halloween costume I don't know I really don't know I love Roy Lichtenstein I think um something very striking about it i think there's something well i liked to think there was something very original about it but of course as i was researching how to do it i realized that maybe it's not so original i was not the first person to think about it by any stretch um i just liked the i don't know i liked the originality of it and i liked that a lot of the costume was in the hair and makeup and actually not the clothing the clothing was was kind of secondary to be honest with you i could wear Black pants, black, like it was very easy. Um, so Do you know I, what I love about uh, about this, Annalisa, is I think yeah. it, it does sum up the interview quite nicely because you could wear your black, but all the detail was in how all the little dots come together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, well, you rest up, have a wonderful evening, and um, hopefully we get to catch up when you're back in Australia. Yes, looking forward to it. Finally, getting on okay. a if you'd like to experience a live recording of Style Stories, please join me for an evening of fashion history, vintage styling and a private shopping experience at King's Cross's favourite book and vintage store, Grand Days. In conjunction with the City of Sydney and the Happy Hours Festival, I'll be telling the stories that defined King's Cross's glittering mile through fashion and style and would love for you to join me. Event details and tickets available on the podcast show notes.